I love how Philippians put, or Acts puts it. Paul got annoyed. <laughs> I love it. It wasn't out of passion or compassion for this young lady. Paul got annoyed that she kept going after them and yelling out after them. But he rebukes the spirit within her, delivers her from the demon. to join together. Um, you heard as I prayed about um, Pastor Jorge and his family. Continue to lift up Freeman as they have a, a road ahead of them, as they try to decide what it is that God's going to do as they continue on. For those of you who don't know me, I am Mike Schultz. I am the Campus and Community Connections Pastor, and I'm housed at our East Fishers location on Oleo Road, and it's delightful to be able to be with you today. And as you know, that during July, Pastor Mike Kola takes this time to think about and pray over the needs of the congregation and go through messages for the, for the next year. And so while he's doing that, he has several of us who are going to be sharing. I'm so thankful for the one we just came through, the, the series of messages on hide this in your heart, because I believe that God's word is powerful. We're starting into a brand new one, Count It All Joy, and I'm glad to be able to offer up the introductory message on this because this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I love what Paul writes to the Philippian believers, and I especially love it when you begin to understand the history of how it came to be. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, and the message is going to be one of introduction, and there will be several over the next weeks who will be bringing you the message from Philippians. And so whether you're worshiping in person, whether you're joining us online, we are starting into this series on the book of Philippians, so if you want to follow along, you can join us there. Uh, but in order for us to do that, we want to give you a little bit of backstory. Part of the backstory I want to give you has a little bit to do with my family. I have been here at, at the East Fishers Trinity location for three years. Prior to that, I was in Muskegon for a time, a time, 10 years. Um, prior to that, I was um, in Rapid City, South Dakota for 20 years. Um, so there were some other things that went on in between there. There's a lot of Wesleyan connections. But while we were there in South Dakota, God placed it on our heart that we were to launch a brand new church, that there was to be a church plant, one that, one that was a birth that we celebrated and we believed that God did something really wonderful. As a matter of fact, that church is still going. A guy that had been on staff with me for nine years became the church launch pastor. And God did some really, really exciting things. But you know what? I want to tell you, having a baby is messy. Okay, some of you get that. Having a baby is messy. Now, whether it's physically having a baby or whether it's giving, a birth, giving birth to a brand new congregation, it is messy. There's nothing about it that's tidy because there's all kinds of things that create challenges. There are all kinds of things that try to smack at your unity. There are all kinds of things that try to tell you that this is the wrong thing to do. But at the time, we had recognized through studies that the best way to reach people with the gospel of Christ was planting new churches, and we believed that that was what God wanted us to do. You know what? You find this in the book of Acts. We have this tremendous, tremendous story of a church plant, and um, it leads to the book of Philippians. So with that in mind, I want you to consider the church that God launched in Philippi. First of all, I want you to look at this unlikely church planter who has a very unique call. 
the one whom God chose for the launch. You know, we first meet Paul. He's not Paul at all. He's Saul. And we find him in the book of Acts chapter 7. When the church was established in the day of the day of Pentecost comes and there's all kinds of growth in the church, they determine that they're going to set up deacons. And one of those deacons is a guy by the name of Stephen. And Stephen is brought before the religious leaders to give account for why they're preaching about Jesus, who is the Christ. And he begins to tell them very forcefully that God had sent to them Jesus, whom they were looking for. They were looking for a Messiah, but the very Messiah that God sent, they ended up murdering. And obviously you can realize that this did not go over well with the religious leaders. As a matter of fact, so poorly it went over with them that Philip is murdered. He's stoned to death. He's taken outside the city. They throw stones and they, they kill him. But while they're killing him, scripture gives us this brief glimpse. It says they laid their robes at the feet of one named Saul, who was there giving hearty approval to this. Saul was zealous. As a matter of fact, he was probably around 30-something, and he was one of the religious leaders. He was part of the council. He was, he was an up and I mean, he was, he had it together. He was what some would call a sharpie. He was, he was there. He was, he was one who had a lot of promise in the Jewish tradition. And he has this zeal, and this zeal leads him to be a persecutor of the church. And we next see Saul when he shows up in the book of Acts in chapter 9. So Saul decides that he's going to somehow protect God's name and he's going to go and he's going to arrest these followers of the way. That's what it, the followers of Jesus were called, followers of the way. And it was considered to be heresy. And he decides that he's going to go with orders from the religious leaders and bring them back in chains. So he goes to Damascus. And on his way to Damascus, while he's riding on a donkey, scripture tells us that a bright light flashes and Paul is knocked to the ground. Saul is knocked to the ground. He's blinded by the bright light and a voice speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Scripture says that those around heard or they saw the light and they heard, but they didn't understand what was going on. And Saul cries out, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And he says, Saul, I want you to go into Damascus. I want you to go to the house of a guy by the name of Judas on Straight Street. You're going to wait there. And while he's there, God appears to him and tells him that a man named Ananias is going to show up, pray for him, and restore his sight. So in the midst of that, while he's there for three days praying, Saul is wrestling with what this must mean. When I'm thinking about this very unlikely church planter, now Pastor Mike talks about how he loves history. I also love history. I want to tell you about somebody from history. This is a guy by the name of Alfred Bernard. We've got a picture, a beautiful picture of Alfred Bernard. Yeah. Alfred Bernard was a Swedish chemist. He was so brilliant, he had 355 patents in the 1800s. And in 1867, Alfred Bernard created dynamite. Prior to that, it was nitroglycerin, which was very unstable and caused the death of many people as they were trying to somehow harness it. But he determined that there was a special way to stabilize it into what we now know as dynamite. And he did not want it to be used as something that would bring death and destruction. He wanted it to be something that would be used in mining and in some ways to bring about health for, for humanity. 
And so he wanted to call it, he wanted to call it Alfred's safety powder. That's what he wanted to call it. But he ultimately decided on the name dynamite from the Greek word dunamis, which means power. So he ultimately decided on the name dynamite. Well, in a strange turn of events, as you know, humans do what humans tend to do. They have this brand new invention called dynamite. And what do they do? They use it to bring death and destruction upon their enemies. And so people all over are dying because of this brand new invention that he had hoped would be something that would be used for peaceful purposes. And then in 1888, Alfred's brother Ludwig died. Papers around the world mistakenly said that it was Alfred who had died. And one French paper said it this way. This was the blaze title, The Merchant of Death Has Died. And it went on to say, Dr. Alfred, who became rich by finding ways, and I'm going to quote here, to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. And Alfred was absolutely appalled that this would be his legacy. So he determined that he would bequeath his entire fortune to promoting peace and promoting harmony. As a matter of fact, I just gave you his first two names. His full name is Alfred Bernard Nobel. And you know him as the namesake of the Nobel Peace Prize, which is awarded in many different categories throughout. But did you realize that this prize started when a very unlikely person found out that his legacy was going to be one of death and destruction, so he determined to make a change. It was just as unlikely that the person who created dynamite would now, his name would be associated with peace. It is even more unlikely that a man by the name of Saul would then become Paul and be recognized as the church planter at Philippi. So to give you some background on what happened for Philippi, you need to go to Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, we want to talk a little bit about this unusual call that this unexpected church planter received. You see, in Acts chapter 16, we're told that Paul and Silas are together looking for what God wants them to do. And a man from Macedonia, which is Europe, appears to them in a vision saying, come over to us, come and help us. Realizing that God was calling them to a new place, they decide to go. And I want you to know that when they go there, um, this is a place, it's a Roman colony, and this Roman colony has Roman soldiers, and they have tremendous nationalism, and they believe that mercy was a flaw, was a character flaw. Kindness was something that you did not Express And here, God calls Paul and Silas to establish a brand new church. And what happens there? They go to a river, to a place of prayer. And what do they find at the place of prayer? They find a woman by the name of Lydia. And she's a dealer in fine linens. And she becomes the first convert. She begins to support the ministry that God has called them to in Philippi. And while they're there, they're going to this place of prayer. And at, as they travel, there's also a young girl who is twice enslaved. First of all, she was a slave girl. Second, she was enslaved by a demon. Scripture says she was demonized and she was possessed and she was able to tell the future. And this brought great profit to her owners. 
And she kept following after them, calling out, these men are servants of the most high God. And I, I love how Philippians put, or Acts puts it. Paul got annoyed. <laughs> I love it. It wasn't out of passion or compassion for this young lady. Paul got annoyed that she kept going after them and yelling out after them. But he rebukes the spirit within her, delivers her from the demon. Now there's a problem. The power that it enabled her to tell the future was all of a sudden gone. And so the, the owners are very frustrated and they complain and they say, these, these two guys are creating an uproar. As a matter of fact, they've basically ruined our business. And so Paul and Silas are arrested. They're beaten with rods and they're thrown into prison in the deepest, darkest part of the prison cell. Then at midnight, they're singing songs of praise. And scripture says that God brings an earthquake and their feet fastened to the stocks in this dark, dingy, probably stinky, probably bug infested or even rat infested. They're singing songs of praise. This, by the way, was an amazing, unexpected core group that God brings to Paul. This, because after the earthquake, what ends up happening is all of the prisoners are free. The jail doors are open. The jailer comes in, and as a Roman soldier, he knows that if the prisoners escape, it means his life. So he pulls his sword to kill himself, and Paul shouts out, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Don't worry about it. We're here. So he calls for a light. He comes in. He washes their wounds. He takes them to their house. The Philippian jailer and his entire family become saved. So you have this amazing, unexpected core group. You have a wealthy businesswoman who literally is the first convert and the church, part of the church planting team in a brand new country. You have a formerly demon-possessed slave girl. You have a Roman soldier who is now serving as a jailer. He's probably very rough. He's probably very violent. He was in charge of prisoners of the empire and his entire family, the jailer's family. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not what I would consider the ideal launch team for a brand new work in a brand new country. Why? Because God doesn't do things always in a tidy fashion. The book of Acts in chapter 16 uh, ends this way. It says, after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. <laughs> this is the church launch team. Okay, guys, you got this. Now they sent back and Paul, history says Paul probably went there several more times. But this is the group to whom Paul writes the book of Philippians. This is the core group. These are the ones that he starts out by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. I'm thinking, you know what? What I would be thinking about is getting beaten <laughs> with rods when I went to Philippi. What I'd be thinking about is some of the things that were negative, but instead he talks about how he thinks about their partnership in the gospel. This is not exactly the dream team, but it is the hand-picked ones that God chose for the first church of God in Philippi. Now, later... Paul's in prison once again. This guy seems to have a habit, you know. He seems to have a habit of being in prison. He's in prison once again, and so he writes back to this fledgling congregation. And he starts in a very pastoral way talking about how he loves them and how he cares for them. But you know what? Everything about the start of the church in Philippi is messy. And we don't tend to like messy, do we? 
We like tidy. We like ordered. We like predictable. Maybe even controllable. One reason we tend to like that even more is because we've had things recently like a pandemic. We've had things recently like a war in Ukraine. We have violence everywhere you go. You have uncertain weather patterns. You have craziness that's going on with the weather. And we just feel knotted up inside. Why? Because there's something about us that prefers tidy. We prefer tidy. So I want to challenge you. I'm going to talk about some of the themes, but there's going to be an overriding thing that I want to talk about as we look at the book of Philippians. It is a challenge to us, and this is the basic challenge. It is a call to surrender the idol of tidy and embrace the messy. When God puts his call on our lives, it is a call to surrender the idol of tidy. God, that's not how you're supposed to do it. God, I wouldn't choose those individuals as the first launch team for the church in Philippi. I want you to remember that as we continue to move forward, we're going to be talking about how God takes and he turns our thoughts and our ideas completely upside down. And I'm going to give you some of the main components of the book of Philippians. And I'm going to talk about surrendering this idol of tidy and embracing something different. But in order to do that, I'm going to call the band up. I think Pastor Mike says that that allows the Holy Spirit to work even much more, right? When you have music playing in the background, it somehow hyper-spiritualizes the things that you say. But what I want to challenge you for, and it's one of the themes that you'll find throughout the book of Philippians. As a matter of fact, we've entitled this series, Count It All Joy. So I want to challenge you, first of all, that we surrender the idol of tidy and embrace the messy by radiating defiant joy. You know what that means? That means a joy that is not based on circumstances. It means a joy that is deep-seated, a joy literally that comes otherworldly from the Father, a joy that says everything around me might be in chaos, but I can have calm assurance. We surrender the idol of tidy and we embrace the messy when we radiate defiant joy. And that term, by the way, we were in preaching team on Monday and uh, Taylor mentioned that he was listening to a podcast and he used that term defiant joy. And I just loved it, defiant joy, that it defies everything that looks like is going on around us and we embrace radiant, defiant joy. The Philippians is often called the epistle of joy. That theme runs throughout the book. Paul challenges believers to remain joyful in their situation and in spite of their circumstances. That's messy. The joy is far deeper than simple happiness. It settles into the very core of ourselves, or as Pastor Mike would say, deep in our bones. That's what happens with the joy that Paul's talking about. We're talking about a joy that's deep in our bones. It's why Paul and Silas could sing in a prison cell after being beaten unjustly, locked in a dark, stinky, dingy cell. Surrender the idol of tidy and embrace the messy by radiating defiant joy. So joy is a theme. Second theme, we surrender the idol of tidy and we embrace the messy by modeling true citizenship and following the example of the model citizen. 
In chapter 2, Paul talks about Jesus who became the perfect Adam, the one who didn't mess it up, the one who didn't mess it up when his challenge came, the one who became the true citizen. You see, Paul's talking to, the, to a colony at Rome. They had even more national pride than the most ardent American citizen. So friends, I want to challenge you that one of the ways that we surrender the idol of tidy and embrace the messy is that we embody the elements of the perfect citizen. And we recognize that we are citizens of a higher nation than even the United States. The end of chapter one and beginning with chapter two, he reminds us that our citizenship is to a higher authority than Rome. And then in chapter two, he explains how Jesus models that. You see, our life as citizens should be consistent with our true, our true heavenly citizenship. We should be followers of the Messiah. Now, what does that mean for believers in America? That means that when our nation heads in different ways, that we are first Christians who happen to be Americans. We're not American Christians. We are Christians first who happen to also be Americans. As an ambassador of a higher country, if the nation where I reside champions behaviors, attitudes, and actions that are contrary to my true citizenship, I surrender the idol of tidy and I embrace the messy by living out kingdom values. Third, we surrender the idol of tidy and we embrace the messy when we embrace unity with a reconciling spirit. Let me tell you what, when you consider the church plant in Philippi, that ground was fertile for conflict. You have a Roman soldier, probably as a jailer, who may have jailed some of the ones that had been there in this new congregation. You have this girl who had been demonized. You have Lydia, who's wealthy. You have all the spectrums, but Paul says, I want you to know to surrender the idol of tidy and embrace the messy means we stand counterculture to cancel culture. You know what that means? It means I might disagree with you, but I cannot get away from you. You are part of the family of God. You are part of the body of Christ. Paul says crazy things, do everything without grumbling. You know what? Evidently, there must have been some in Philippi. He says, do everything without grumbling. Years ago, <laughs> I, it was Bill Hybels who made this statement. And even though he has become uh, out of favor, um, the statement's still true. He says, unity is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of a reconciling spirit. You know what that means? That means that I can disagree with you, sometimes even heatedly, but my desire is to remain reconciled with you. By the way, it is the only way I can stand before you today and tell you that this August, Reva and I celebrate 41 years of marriage. Did you realize? Thank, thank you. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't designed for applause, but thank you. you you're probably applauding for her because I can't imagine that anybody would stick with me for that long. But I want you to know, in 41 years, there's opportunities for conflict. There's opportunities to have messy. But what keeps together is the presence of a reconciling spirit saying that I'm choosing to live in a reconciled state with you. D. 
do you have that with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Surrender the idol of tide, the idol of tidy and embrace the messy. This is the same Paul, by the way, who had such a sharp disagreement with Barnabas that they split ways. That's why he's with Silas when they launched the church in Philippi because he had a disagreement with Barnabas that was so severe they went separate ways. God did something beautiful in the midst of it. But now he writes to that church, he says, I plead with Judea and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. You know what? I believe also that the church has a role. He says, those of you who are mature, help these believers who have contended by my side to get along. Surrender the idol of tidy and believing that everybody is going to have rainbows and unicorns, that they're all going to agree with everything I say. They're going to think it's the best thing since anything that Tim Keller said. You know what? It is to evidence a reconciling spirit. That'll speak volumes to a culture that so quickly and easily cancels anyone or anything that challenges their thoughts and ideas. So you say, Pastor Mike, as we look at the book of Philippians, and those are the overriding themes, but with the one major theme, surrender the idol of tidy and embrace the messy. What in the world does that mean for us as we head out from this place? I do, I do want to give you just two brief challenges. And the first one's this. Is there any area of your life when you need to, where you need to surrender the idol of tidy and embrace defiant joy? Are things falling apart around you? Do you find yourself given to complaining, to given to being frustrated about all the things that are going wrong? Do you find yourself like Eeyore in, in the Winnie the Pooh um, cartoons? Nobody cares about an old Eeyore. Do you find yourself doing that? My challenge to you is to embrace the messy of defiant joy that says no matter what my circumstances are, I've got a God who's still in control. I've got a God who's still on the throne. Second, would you ask God, is there any place in your life where you're extremely tempted to buy into cancel culture? And would you surrender the idol of tidy that I've got to agree with everyone around me in order for them to be a part of my circle? And would you embrace messy by evidencing a reconciling spirit. So would you take your next steps card? And I want to pray for you and I just want to ask, is there anything as we've gone through this and we talked about the history of the church, we talk about the various ways that God chose the unlikely, we talk about this defiant joy. Is there anything that God might be prompting you about very specifically to say, Lord, in this area of my life, you're calling me to surrender this idol of tidy and embrace the messy. Because I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, when we embrace the messy, God does something beautiful. He does something beautiful. I'm going to pray. You write, then the band will sing. And they will give you instructions as how to deal with the cards as we finish out the service. Father God, I give you thanks and praise for your love and for your care. Lord, I thank you for the Apostle Paul. I thank you for how unlikely he was as radical as he was in opposition to the way. And yet how he became the Apostle to the Gentiles. Father, I thank you for him modeling that 
that crazy, messy, defiant joy. I pray that you would help us. Lord, if there's an area in our life where we have just been trying to hold on to things being in order and right and tidy, help us surrender it and embrace that defiant joy. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone with whom you need us to reconcile, not to necessarily agree on all points, but to exhibit a spirit of reconciliation that you would bring that kind of unity to bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. I pray that you'd make that clear to us during this time and we will be careful to give you the thanks, the glory, the honor and the praise for you alone, O Lord, are worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps. Thank you.